traditional logic is actually easier than the modern system because again the modern system is mathematical and it's not what you use in an argument you, traditional logic is what you use in an argument you don't argue in symbols you argue in real words and statements you're listening to classical etc a show from the memoria press podcast network where we offer an in-depth look at the philosophy culture and heart of the memoria press family now here's your host Shane Saxon. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Memoria Press Podcast. Today I got a chance to sit down with Martin Cothran. Martin has been at Highlands Latin School and Memoria Press since the beginning. He's written a number of books and writes articles and is now the head of the Memoria College. And Martin and I talked about his journey into classical education and what he's learned in the process and how he's articulated what classical education is. Um, it was a very enjoyable talk. Here's our conversation. I'm listening to uh, The Searchers now, which was, of course, what the movie some people think was John Wayne's greatest performance. And it's uh, based on the book, or the or the. Yeah, it was based on the book, Alan LeMay, and it's it's uh, I and I I haven't. I'm just starting that one, so. So I got to, you know, I'm trying to do hit all my westerns, you know, the Oxbow incident, the, the real classic ones. Uh, so, but as, well, as well as some of the young ones, you know, like Louis L'Amour and just sort of your Max Brand, who was another pulp writer, uh, like that. Are you like hitting all the different genres, or like are you yeah, do, like so I've sci-fi? Got, or? I've got western, yeah, sci-fi. Uh, where I'm, again, I'm, I'm concentrating on the classics, you know, H.G. Wells and uh, people like that, and. Uh, survival stories um sea tales um yeah i mean and, and uh, i don't know what to but i guess they're pioneer stories but like mountie fiction there's a whole genre of mountie fiction like written by canadians specifically or? well mostly i mean i mean and by writers and i'm telling you these guys were really good uh james oliver kurtwood was is I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna list like four or five of the greatest writers of boys of of it's, and they're really not they're really for adults too these of adventure books you know Raphael Sabatini, uh, C. S. Forrester, um, H. Ryder Haggard, uh, uh, James Oliver Kerwood is definitely one of them. I and I just discovered him recently, but man alive! I mean, he and all these guys—they're writing in the twenties. They lived some of this stuff, you know. Jack London, who's one of them, really. Jack London, if you look, read his life, you can see why why he can write the way he does. He knows what he's writing about. These guys knew what they were writing about. They spent time and you know, writer or, or Haggard, uh, you know, he was a British uh, junior administrator in South Africa. He, he knew the Zulus. He, you know, it's great stuff. <laughs> So, Martin, the question I've been wanting to ask you for a long time is, what is classical education? <laughs> classical education is <laughs> is uh, the great books in the liberal arts. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that I, you come across as though you've been classically educated your whole life, but a lot of it is self-taught, right? I mean, you taught yourself Latin, you taught yourself some Greek, you've read a lot of the classics in your adult life. I mean, what what drew you to the classics initially? Well, my education began when I read a Chesterton quotation for the umpteenth time. I was standing in a line in Isla Vista, California, Santa Barbara, where I was going to school at the University of California there, and I read another quote from Chesterton. Who is this guy? And so I I did whatever my banking business was and walked uh, walked onto campus to the the 
the great library they have there and uh, looked in the card catalog. Uh, some people won't remember those. And looked up G.K. Chesterton, and his books are on the fourth floor. I go up there, there's three or four shelves of Chesterton books, and I remember pulling one out that looked like it had an interesting title, Heretics. And I pulled it off the shelf, and I opened it up, and I read a paragraph, and I thought, this is the guy I've always wanted to read. So really, my introduction to just about anything literary and philosophical, and I was a philosophy student, actually, at the time, but uh, was Chesterton. And, and it was following the links from Chesterton uh, because he's such a literary writer. He makes references to all these great writers. So you just kind of, uh, you know, it was a great, great uh, entree into all of that. Can you remember any of the themes or ideas that he particularly elucidated that you're like, that, you know, trying to put your finger on, on it? Well, and it, I, don't, I don't know that it has anything specifically to do with classical education per se, but just his whole view of existence, his his joy in in existence, his attitude toward the world. That's what has affected me most uh, uh, from Chesterton is just his his attitude that he's to this wonder at the world, and that's that I think infected me, and I think it's infected a lot of people a good infection, and um, and so I you know and I still read Chester. I was to read Chesterton last night again um, after. Not having read him for a few months, yeah. I realized I missed him. Yeah. Well, what were you reading? Um, well, uh, Ignatius Press has published his complete works. Now, they're not even finished yet. This has been going on for about 20 years. But they've reprinted his weekly columns from the Illustrated London News, where he had a weekly column from 1904, somewhere around in there, to uh, 1936 when he passed away. And... They're just about daily affairs, but it's certainly Malcolm Muggeridge says he 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 had this ability to relate um, uh, the the current times to to the eternal, and and so even though he's writing about something you may not be interested in, he always has something that's interesting to say. And right now we're in 1916, which is the middle of World War One, and almost every column is on the Germans, you know, it's, it's, but it's still interesting because he's relating it to the eternal. So, I mean, you said that that wasn't directly related to classical education, but it obviously vaulted you into classical education. So what, what were the connections? Well, I think it was just be, becoming interested in literature and, and philosophy. And then like a lot, I didn't, you didn't think about classical education then. You just thought about literature and philosophy. That term classical education wasn't, wasn't a buzzword like it is now. And so when, um, you know, when Douglas Wilson came out with that book, uh, uh, Redis uh, Rediscovering the Lost Tools of Learning with the Dorothy Sayers essay, like a lot of people who are in classical education, that sort of drew my attention to that particular idea. But then, you know, uh, people were using Dorothy Sayers' developmental taxonomy as the sum and substance of classical education. And from my reading from Chesterton and and on, I, I, I realized, wait a minute, well, the older classical education was about the classics. The older education was about the great books. Uh, Could you explain uh, Dorothy Sayers' del developmental? Yeah, textbook. well, it's, it's the, uh, many classical educators know this, but it's, it's the whole idea that uh, there are three stages of learning, the grammar stage, the logic stage, and the rhetoric stage. The grammar stage just being, you know, the idea that children learn best at that age, and they like learning through memorization and drill and that sort of thing. 
Um, and then uh, in the analytic or logical stage, um, they're, they're thinking analytically. They're, they're wanting to contest. They're wanting to argue. And then in, in her way of, of doing it, rhetoric is a more creative stage where the imagination comes into play, uh, which, you know, I do have some disagreements on the specifics there. I mean, children's imaginations are being formed when they're very young too during the grammar mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a competent taxonomy and it came out before Bloom's taxonomy of learning, which is a staple in education programs, you know, where you have seven stages and his is just more, more complicated, but it came out several years before that actually. And it's, it, there's some good observations in there. Um, but I think uh, what the whole classical education movement has come to realize um over the last uh, 20, 30 years, is what the older classical education was. And, and that is that emphasis um, on, on uh, the great books and the great ideas, and then on the liberal arts. And so, you know, that's, uh, that's one of the themes that, that I have uh, um, resorted to many times over the last 20 years. And when you say the word liberal arts, especially when I first got here, I was like, yeah, I got a liberal arts education. Um, but then when you use the words, it doesn't always mean what I thought it meant. Right. Well, the popular meaning of that right now, when you hear it in, in public discussions, it usually means something that it's not. It usually is referring to the humanities, to English. You know, if you're an English major, you're a liberal arts major. If you're a history major or a journalism, you're a liberal arts major. That's not actually the traditional meaning of the liberal arts. Um, so, uh, and even I find myself using it both ways sometimes, but really the, the traditional meaning of the liberal arts is the skills. I mean, when we, when, when, you know, many, many of us have seen the expression arts and sciences on the side of some college building or right. something, that's really what education is. Art, the skills, uh, the arts, that's what arts meant in ancient uh, thought, uh, really up until very recently. Uh, and then sciences, which are bodies of knowledge. Now, we think of the natural sciences when we think of the sciences, but there are other bodies of knowledge, right? There are the theological sciences and the moral sciences, the human sciences, which we uh, refer to as the humanities. And so uh, so the liberal arts, really, are the arts of communication and mathematics, Uh the, the term liberal arts in its modern use means precisely not mathematics, whereas in the traditional use, it meant precisely mathematics and language. It meant both those things. So the trivium, the classical trivium, the three language arts, traditional language arts, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, uh, those are language-oriented, all of them, including logic, which there's, there are mathematical forms of that now that people mistake, I think, <laughs> for logic, which really are a form of math. Uh, and then arithmetic, geometry, astronomy and music. Astronomy is just the application of arithmetic and, or excuse me, music is just the application of arithmetic and astronomy is the application of geometry, but they're all mathematical. So it's, it's language and math. And so did that insight kind of also connect to your, if we could say your specialty, it seems like you have a hundred specialties, but a logic, that seemed to be something you really latched onto. Was that before or after you started to kind of understand this paradigm shift of traditional education. Well, in, in another sense, that was, that was another entree into classical education. Um, you know, my back, my academic background's in philosophy. And so I, I think I took every logic course they offered at the University of California. And so, um, I was working in uh, public policy and, uh, and we decided to start a school at a, at a nearby church. 
And so I worked with the pastor there and we decided we want to do a classical program. That was when, that was in 1994, I believe. And, um, we didn't have a Latin teacher, so I volunteered, uh, <laughs> even though I didn't know, I, I figured I could learn it, you know, and, uh, and logic, the logic class. And, uh, and so I, I had that training, but I couldn't find any text out there that was, that was good for high school students. You know, you have these college texts that are really not well written and not well laid out. Uh, and plus they, they emphasized this modern symbolic logic. And I had gone back and had started reading Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas and, and um, realizing that there, the, the old tradition of logic was, uh, was a, a language art, uh, traditional logic. It's a, that's a language art. And so I started to teach that. Well, there wasn't very many good resources out there anymore because modern logic has dominated in schools since the early 20th century. And, um, and it was really aligned with some modern philosophical movements like logical positivism and, and the sort, sort of thing, which I was not wild about. Uh, so I just decided I was going to have to write my own book. And so I did. And that's what is now uh, traditional logic books one and two. And I developed that in a class of high school, uh, really even uh, middle and high schoolers. And so that that was another thing that made me understand one one part of what classical education yeah. was. Do you find that students respond to the way that you articulate logic or are students confused about? No, I think uh, traditional logic is actually easier than the modern system. Because again, the modern system is mathematical and it's not what you use in an argument. You, traditional logic is what you use in an argument. You don't argue in symbols. You argue in real words and statements and uh, propositions. And so, uh, so I think students find it intuitively easier. And, you know, by the time you're taking logic, you've already used it some already, whether you know it or not, when even arguing with your, with your parents or something. But, um, and so, so it, it's just taking something they know and showing them how it works. And, and so it's, I think it's a lot easier. Yeah, so it seems like a lot, of, it's at least a lot of your work to me has kind of resolve, revolved around Aristotle, who seems like kind of an intimidating figure to a lot of people, but you also you know, taught, taught rhetoric. And in the early days, were you also toying with teaching classical composition, which you know, now we have that program? What, how did you access Aristotle, even though he was difficult? And what, is, what has that been for you? I did it backwards. Um, <laughs> uh, it, you know, when you start reading Chesterton, uh, you you don't even have to. Well, what 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 I did was read Chesterton's book on Thomas Aquinas, and because Chesterton's thought was really based on Thomas Aquinas, but Thomas Aquinas's thought was based largely, not completely, on Aristotle. And so when I say I went backwards, that's what I mean. I went from Chesterton to Aquinas, and then to Aristotle, uh, which is a weird way of doing it, but. It worked fine. <laughs> and I'm still, of course, I'm still a student very much in, in terms of, uh, of Aristotle. There's a lot of his things I still haven't read. Um, but I think that, um, you know, when you do go back and you do start learning about the philosophical tradition and you see these two figures there, Plato and Aristotle, and they, they are both very similar in a lot of ways, but then there are differences in the way they approach things. Uh, Plato is very sort of top-down. And Aristotle is sort of bottom up. And I, I wrote an article once saying, you know, we can, all people can be um, divided into Aristotelians and Platonists. Uh, and in the sense, that's true. You know, some people are top down thinkers. Some people are bottom up thinkers. 
So after you started that school, how did you get connected with Mrs. Lowe and what was that relationship like at first? <laughs> well, um, there was a very controversial um, education reform program that was passed by our state legislature here in Kentucky. And um, it was it was one it was the same kind of reform that you get every 25 years in this country, which is very progressivist. Uh, and it was, you know, all modern reforms are progressive and pragmatical. They're about ju- getting a job, uh, that education is about getting a job, and that education is about developing a child rather than the classical purpose, which is uh, forming an adult. And so uh, we were both involved uh, in that in the opposition to that. Uh, I became sort of the chief spokesman in the state against that program. It was a very intense public battle back in the uh, early 90s. And uh, Cheryl was sort of, in a way, the brainchild of the opposition. She wrote four articles. And, uh, and I always say that everything I know about education uh, is from those four articles okay. that Cheryl <laughs> wrote. And so we met and started commiserating on, on uh, the, the opposition to this education reform program. And finally she said, you know... Um, uh, you know, Bill Bennett talks about this, you know, uh, his wife told him one time, you know, you, you, you do things, uh, you do education wholesale, you need to do it retail. Uh, we, we were doing it wholesale in this, in this public debate. And yeah. then we decided to do it retail yeah. by actually, uh, she started, you know, she started a school at that time. I was still working in public policy. And then, so in 1998, uh, she asked me to come on board and to help her develop the curriculum and to teach at uh, at her school, uh, the school that that eventually became Highlands Latin School, where we are, where we're sitting right now, and um, and so uh, the rest is history. You know, we had we had two or three products. We had the Latin programs and we had the logic programs, and I remember we we sent out a um, a mailer. Uh, to a list of classical schools, and I think we got 25% response, which is, you know, you, you know, 5% response is normally huge in a mailer. We got like 25, you know, people's calling saying, where have you been all our lives, you know? And ever since then, it's been really very successful. People have loved Memorial Press. Can you remember anything that you learned from Mrs. Lowe over at the beginning, uh, or even not at the beginning? <laughs> or can you identify? I know your guys' minds became melded in some ways as you did this. Well, that's but. what I was going to say, was I don't remember what was her idea and what was my idea anymore. Well, and it, because it's funny, because I would stop by her desk. And, I, it's, you know, up until you know she passed away, I'd stop by her desk, and we would sit there and talk for a half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour. And by the time we were done, I'd just go back to my desk and write down the notes from our conversations because there was uh, fodder in there for uh, three articles. So I really can't say. I mean, I, I, I don't know how to how to parse those differences out because I learned so much from her. What do you think were the things about classical education that you saw clicking with people who started to attend here? I mean, were, were there particular differences with what they were experiencing in other schools that attracted them to what you guys were building? Well, for one thing, I think just the seriousness about teaching Latin. I mean, you know, people want to dabble. In Latin, people want to use Latin as a supplement in their program, and so I think the biggest difference was simply we took Latin seriously and we taught it uh, so that you could read Latin. We didn't just teach, you know, the etymology, etymological stuff, and the derivatives. You know, that's what a lot of people wanted to do, and saying no, you've got to learn this. You got to, in order to let. In order to use Latin to form your mind, which it really does, 
you need to take Latin. You need to really learn it, uh, not just dabble in it. You can't just dabble in, you know, change your mind, change your, you know, the structure of your mind. You got to do it seriously. So that was really, I think, the chief thing. And then just, you know, the best of the best in terms of the literature we used and that sort of thing. We have this incredible tradition, uh, particularly of children's literature, and and to to pass this on to the next generation of children. You know, I'd say those two things were the most uh, were, were the most important things in our minds. Yeah. So we just have a couple more minutes um, in this last you know, a couple of years, I guess, year, you've turned a little bit of a corner and you've switched your focus in classical education to educating educators, but on a, on a high level. Um, so you started Memorial College. Mm-hmm. What are the challenges with Memorial College that you're running into? How has this opened up your understanding of classical education as you're speaking to people who are highly educated and helping them take another step forward? Well, I, you know, thinking about this the other day, th- this has really been, this is a true natural development out of what we have been doing because okay so now we've 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 helped to we've helped a generation of homeschooling parents to teach their children and you know i think probably half of our uh, students now in our in our first year in at memorial college are are our former or current homeschooling mothers. So, so now we've created this monster, if you will, all these, these mothers who have empty nests and they have, they have been inspired by classical education and they want the rest of the story and we're giving them the rest of the story. They're actually reading Aristotle. They're reading Plato. They're reading Aquinas. They're reading Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and they are absolutely loving it. I mean, really the challenge is to grow the program as faster than we are because the demand is, you know, exceeded our expectations. And, and I'm, I, you know, I sit in a lot of the classes, you know, cause we're just starting out. I'm making sure everything's going okay. And they are loving it. And I sit there, I want to just poke my head in and then I sit there listening for an hour because it's so interesting to the discussion going on and to the, to the, to the instructors we have who really know their stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, well, I've enjoyed talking with you. Let's do this again. I, I think that'd be a good idea. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Memoria Press podcast. If you like what you heard and you would like to hear more, please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. My name is Shane Saxon, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press podcast network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.